Yeah. Are we live? Are we online? We're online. We're live. Hello, people. We are live. Shall we? Welcome, everybody. Today we continue the study of the letter Pei, verse 2. And verse 2, on some level, is a continuation to verse 1, in which we spoke about Edvoi Secha, God's testimonies. And we described them as being polois or wondrous to the point they are unfathomable. Pasuk Kuflamid, verse 130. Pesach Dvorecha. Pesach Dvorecha, I'll translate it as your opening words. Yoir. They light up, they illuminate. Maven Psoim. They enlighten simpletons or fools. That's the Pasuk. The Pasuk says that God's opening words illuminate and they enlighten fools. So there are many questions. <laughs> First of all, only your opening words illuminate? Is not the Torah called Or? As King Solomon wisely observed in Proverbs, Ki ne'er mitzvah, for a mitzvah is a lamp, the Torah oir, Torah is light. If it's dvorecha, if it's your words, gotta be oir. So what is the meaning of Pesach dvorecha? Your opening, or the opening of words. Which words are we talking about? And if you wanted to speak of a person's ability to illuminate or to enlighten. Much more so HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Is the mark of distinction Maven Psoyim? That can, you can enlighten fools? I would think it's easy to enlighten fools. It's challenging to enlighten educated people, sophisticated people. So, let us begin by looking at the commentary of Radak. And I know I usually start with Rashi, but on a level of pshat here, not necessarily maintaining the integri integrity of, of the words, not focusing on the words, it's a very important part of Rashi's pshat. But if you want to like, read, understand the basic thrust of the pshat of this pasuk, I think that the first place we should start is Radak, not for the smallest reason that in Mitzudis, David agrees and takes the same approach, as does the Me'iri. And ultimately, as you will see, this is rooted in the words of our sages, in the words of the Medrash Tilim. But let's begin with the Radak. Pesach Dvarecha, the opening of your words or your opening words. What does this mean? 
says Rabbeinu David Kimchi, Psichas Dvorecho, the opening of your words, Yoir Eine Ivre Halev, will illuminate those who are blind in heart. Blind in heart. Forget about a thinking heart, a lave or an understanding heart, a lave maven. Here he speaks about ivre lave, blind of heart. What does it mean? I think that when a person is blinded, God forbid, or unable to see, so they, they can't react. They don't. They don't. They don't see what's in front of them. Ivre lave means a person who has difficulty relating. They're not able to relate. So people, these people who have difficulty relating, say to God in spirituality, say, Psichas dvarecha, the opening of your words will illuminate, will enable them to begin to relate. And here Radak explains himself. For when a person begins to think carefully, to contemplate the words of the Torah, and he takes them to heart, when he does that, it illuminates his eyes, and then he's able to more deeply contemplate and understand. Still sounds kind of mysterious. So Radak says this is a continuation of the previous Pasuk that we finished studying last week. So that a person might not say because they are unfathomable. They're something that amaze me. But I, I can't relate. I don't understand. It's beyond me. Omar, he says, Sheyichal, Yichal with a ches, that he shall begin bahem to contemplate or to think deeply in them. And if you begin to think of, if you begin to analyze, if you begin to contemplate the words of Torah, then this opens for him a pathway towards understanding. Because the opening of the pathway will illuminate for him. Because he is, after all, the God who illuminates the fools. In other words, he gives wisdom, he gives profundity to the simpleton or to the fool. Maybe we'll look at Mitsudais David in order to have a better understanding of what Radak just told us. The Mitsudais scene says that the word psayim is ksilim. Ksilim usually means fools. Psichas dvorecha, yoyer eini halev. Mitsudais David, who did not see the Radak, I don't believe so at least. He says the opening words illuminate the heart. So clearly both Radak and the Mitsudas understood that we're talking here not only about IQ, but EQ. It's a question of emotional quotients. 
Can you relate to the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah? Do you find the spirituality that is brought to you, the instruction and illumination in Judaism proffered, do you find it overwhelming? Does it seem beyond you? Can you not relate? Well, good. You said you can't relax. So Ratzalemer, he means to say, then begin to work at it. And when a person begins to contemplate the Torah, when he begins to study the Torah and try to understand the Torah, then his eyes are illuminated. The Yosef Tevuna. And then he will increase, or his understanding will continue to wax continuously. In the words of the Me'idi, the Me'idi says, the meaning of Psichas Dvarecha means that maybe you have a person who says, It's so overwhelming, it's so unfathomable, it's beyond me. Eh, I'm not motivated to go and learn. That's not how you should see things. Means, not God's words per se, God's opening words, but you're opening God's words. You're choosing to delve into the profundity of Torah and to try to understand it to the best of your ability. Yoir will illuminate. Because somebody who makes the fools wise. This is Hashem who makes the fools wise. And as many words, I think what the Radak, the Mitsudais, and the Me'iri are telling us is that David HaMelech is trying to tell each and every member of the Jewish people and beyond who might despair, who might despair from understanding Hashem's mitzvahs because as King David himself just says, they are unfathomable. So David HaMelech now responds to that previous statement which might make somebody despair of engaging, relating, delving into the Torah. He says, when you begin to explore God's mitzvahs, then your eyes will be enlightened. Then your understanding will increase. And this, this in, 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 in very simply stated means that even though on the surface a person might seem discouraged, he says, the testimonies are wondrous. It's a misconception. It looks that way. The truth is that if you seriously delve into the intricacies of Torah, you will not have to wait long before you begin to gain satisfaction. Indeed, at the very outset of your studies, you will discover a great light. And that great light will begin to open the wellsprings of perception and even... A fool, even a fool, will be able to achieve profound understanding and profound appreciation of Hashem's Torah. So from the Radak's perspective, we talk here about Pesach Dvorecha is not God's opening words, but rather you open the words. You begin the process. Seems daunting seems beyond you, you can't relate, begin the process. And if you begin the process, you will see there will be an immediate domino effect. And the more you will learn, 
the more you will understand and the broader will be your comprehension. Now this is all based, I believe, on a Medrash Tillam. Now I'll share the Medrash Tillam with you and you tell me if you agree. The Medrash Tillam comments, Me'irim heim divrei Torah. The words of Torah are illuminative. As David, King David says in the 19th Psalm, in the 8th verse, he says, Mitzvah Hashem bara, God created his mitzvot, they illuminate the eyes. And of course, as mentioned earlier, we have Proverbs 6, verse 23, Kiner mitzvah, and the Torah is a Torah of light. This is the meaning of Pesach Dvorecha. The notion here is that if a person will only begin to open Hashem's words, if a person will begin to delve into Hashem's words, Hashem's words open him. Pesach Dvorecha. It's almost like a verb. Hashem's words open, will open for you. The words of Torah serve as portals, as segues, pathways, doors, opening gates from one to the next. Like doorways, like gateways. That's what the Torah, that's how Torah works. And the Medrash goes on to quote a whole slew of verses and he concludes with the idea that is found in the very same chapter of Tehillim that he spoke of earlier. One verse over, he says, Eidus Hashem, that the testimonies of Hashem are trustworthy in Emona, Machakim Pesi, they make the fool wise. So there you have it. Pesach Dvorecha here then means Hashem's words open. You open Hashem's words. Hashem's words will open you. It's uh, kind of loose. It's not precise. The words are not precise. Pesach Dvorecha literally means your opening words. But the way uh, this the pshat or midrashic pshat is that Pesach Dvorecha, God's words open. They serve to open things. And so if you open Hashem's words, Hashem's words open the pathway before you. You think you can't relate, think again. Or start to think. If you contemplate, if you delve into, if you work hard and trying to appreciate and understand the Torah, you'll be amazed at the results. So this is the first approach to the 130th verse of Psalm 119. Now, my friends, let me introduce you to Rashi. It's a very different take on this. Rashi says, the words read, Pesach dvarecha yo'ir. Your opening words illuminate. Your opening words. What are God's opening words? So in Rashi's first approach, God's opening words refer to the opening statement at Mount Sinai which enlightened the hearts of the Jewish people. Your opening words, your first words, enlightened or illuminated the hearts of Israel. Because after all, you are God who gives fools the ability to understand. Which words? The first words are, with Hashem saying, I am the Lord your God. 
Anoichi I, Asher Hoitzei Sicha Mei, who has taken you out from the land of Egypt. In other words, Rashi says, why did God begin by introducing Himself to the Jewish people, saying, I am the God who took you out of Egypt? Did they not know God? They were experiencing a full-on revelation. They knew this is God. They knew they experienced already a microcosm of this when they walked through the Reed Sea, and perhaps in a more limited fashion when this, the, the plague of the firstborn hit all of the, the, the Egyptians in Mitzrayim, as it says, Nigla Aleihem Melech Malchem Lochem HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The King of all kings, Almighty God, revealed Himself to them. And did they not recognize that all of the plagues the makot that came in the land of Mitzrayim and the miracles and the wonders that had accompanied them as they made their exodus from slavery moving into a bright but unknown future. Did they not know that this was God? Why does God have to introduce Himself? So Rashi says on a very literal level, Hashem is giving us the simple logic. And the simple logic is this. God said, I am informing you. I am framing the circumstances so you can understand it with clarity. I have done for you the following. I took out Egypt. And as such, Had you remained in Mitzrayim, you'd be a slave-like people till the end of time. So by taking you out, I acquired you as mine. Lodas, so that you might know that you might know that God is a master over you. And as you know now, God's a master over you. So they'll accept Hashem's dominion. And that's the next, next mitzvah, the next dibur, the next statement. It shouldn't have any other gods. And afterwards, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's decrees begin unfold before us. In other words, God made the case. Even a fool can understand it. Before you were shackled, before you languished in prison, before you were a slave who didn't know if he would see the light of day tomorrow, God took you out of Mitzrayim, and God took you out of Mitzrayim because He wants you to be His. And from now on, you're His. So you accept upon yourself His dominion. You accept upon yourself His majesty. You accept upon yourself His Lordship. And now that God is your Lord, your other, and your Master, now we can talk. No other Lords. No other Masters. Your only allegiance is to God. As a very wise police officer, just told a group of protesters, by the way, the police officer is an African-American himself, he said, I only kneel before my God. They said, take a knee. He said, no, I kneel before God. My friends, you take the truth from whoever says it. That's the truth. The truth is that we have one master. And it is he whom we are answerable to. Nobody else has the right to dominate us. Nobody else has the right to call the, 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 the course of our life. The course of our life follows the will of Hashem and the dictates of His Torah. One master. And God made it very clear for the Jewish people. And that's Pesach Dvarecha. When God began to speak to the Jewish people, before He gave them the details, He made the case for why they owe Him His allegiance. So on a very literal level, Rashi says, that's Pesach Dvarecha. What, what's driving Rashi here? 
It's driving Rashi as the Rebbe once wrote in a letter. He said the entire Torah, as we mentioned earlier, is called the Torah of Or. So there seems to be a Tosefet Or. There's like more light. There's all of Torah is light, the letters of light, but the opening letters and the opening words somehow illuminate with greater intensity. Pesach Dvarecha Yoyer means what the Rebbe called Or Sheba Or, the light within the light. So there are two ways of understanding this. It says Dvarecha. Dvarecha Yoyer words. So the words Dvarecha, the Rebbe says, could either relate to the concept of Aseret Ha Dibrot. There are no Ten Commandments. There are no Ten Commandments. There are 613 Commandments. There are seven commandments. There are no ten commandments. What does everybody call the ten commandments? I don't know. That's a mistranslation. It doesn't say aseret ha-mitzvot. A mitzvah is a commandment. It says aseret ha-dibrot. Ten statements. Anochi Hashem elokecha. I am the Lord your God is more of a statement. That dibur. So Pesach dvarecha. Your first dibra. Dvarecha refers to dibrot. To the, time, the ten statements that Hashem made for the Jewish people, which are also mitzvahs, but they're more than a mitzvah. Hashem made statements to the Jewish people. This is not the entirety of the Torah. That is not all we are expected to do. There are ten statements that ultimately encapsulate the entirety of Torah, as Reb Sadiagoran says. But the truth, and it's wrong to call it ten commandments. So Pesach Dvarecha, from Rashi's perspective, if we go on to speak about Hashem's words opening our minds and hearts, or us opening Hashem's Torah, we're not being loyal to the words Pesach Dvarecha, because Pesach Dvarecha means your opening words. <laughs> what is your opening words? Your opening words illuminate. All your words illuminate. So therefore Rashi says, your opening words made the case. In a way that even a fool could understand. The truth is that God didn't have to give us any explanations. He didn't, he didn't owe us any commentary. He could have said, this is the way it is. I'm the boss. He is. In fact, there is this medrash that before receiving the Torah, the bride, as the Jewish people are proverbially referred to, got cold feet. And it says God held a mountain over them and he says, you accept my Torah or else. Now the Alter Rebbe says in Torah that it doesn't literally mean a mountain. It's a euphemism. It's a medrash. He says it means God swept us off our feet by revealing all kinds of amazing things to us. But ultimately, God didn't have to explain it in a way that even a fool could understand. But he did. Because Hashem wants us not only to be subservient externally, but he wants ultimately that we should buy into this. We should claim ownership. We should want to do this. This should be our thing. So Hashem's opening words are mevim psoyim. Allowed even a fool to understand and appreciate why we owe an allegiance to God. Now Rashi goes on and he says, this is problematic. Because even though the words dvarecha, as the Rebbe explains, could refer to dibrot, but if you ask a child, Pesach Dvarecha, what is God's first words, what would you say? What would a child say? He would say, the first words God spoke is, let there be light. How that illuminates or enlightens fools is a good question. But those are the first words. 
And because Pesach Dvorecha, without the analysis of the word Dvorecha and its etymology to, to Dibrot, the simple meaning of Pesach Dvorecha is your first words. So therefore Rashi feels uncomfortable leaving you only with the first interpretation. I think this is the Pshat. So therefore he adds a second interpretation and the Rebbe says this. The second interpretation is Pesach Dvorecha Yoir literally Tchilas Dvorecha your first words and that is B'maisi Bereshis at the genesis of creation Yehi Or let there be light. So Rashi has a very interesting way, very, a very different approach than the other Pashtanim. And I believe that the reason, as I said, is because the words Pesach Tvarecha, if you read them very literally, seem to indicate that it's God's opening words. Now God's opening words illuminating or illuminating things make a lot of sense when we speak about Aseret Hadibrot. And that's why Rashi takes that approach first. However, since that's not really Pesach Dvorecha, God's opening words are Yehior, Rashi feels compelled also to add the interpretation of the notion of Yehior. But leaves us with a very big question. I understand that Rashi is troubled by Pesach Dvorecha. It's not hard to understand why he chose to forge a different path than Radakim, David, and Meiri, who followed the Medrash. It's not difficult to understand that. It fits with Rashi's Pshuto Shomikra approach that necessarily has to take into account the actual syntax and verbiage. But what does that mean? How are the words Yehi Or something that could enlighten a fool? This, my friends, Rashi does not explain. Now, before we go on to looking for Rashi's source, I just want to tell you that the, the, the notion of the Torah, the Torah having the ability to illuminate, or the, the, the nature of studying Torah being illuminative, some, in some way does illuminate what, what Rashi refers to here. Because, because when a person would study Torah, it would illuminate. You know, the... The Malbim kind of takes it a little further. He says, even the Pashtus of Torah, even the most simple word of Torah, like a story of Torah, ultimately is instructive insofar as faith and ethos are concerned. He says, even a fool can become wiser, can become more profound, just from the stories of Torah. You know, so based on these words, somehow, just those two words, the fact that God chose to say, Yehi Or, in and of itself, is illuminating. It's got to be telling us something. And of course, the question that I'm putting out there is, what might that be? Before we go further, I want to share that uh, I saw in the, in the Art Scroll uh, commentary, something very interesting. I, I don't know what his source is, and that's why I, I'm telling you that it's from the art school, because otherwise, if, when he gives you a source, I tell you the original source. But he puts it this way, and I'm going to quote. He says that people of simple, innocent faith in God can attain profound understanding of the world and its secrets. They are not impressed by appearances, 
for their faith enables them to penetrate beneath the surface. And they'll recognize God as the inner source of all existence. And that's the meaning of the testimony Hashem is trustworthy, making the fool wise. We quoted that earlier. I think that he's kind of building on the Medrash, but I don't really see what he says here in the Medrash. He goes on to say there are others who were endowed with superior intellectual powers, and I quote, but abuse their mental abilities in the name of intellectual honesty. They poison their minds with baseless philosophical doubts, complex questions, and confusing inquiries. Despite their veneer of sophistication, their thinking has never penetrated beneath the surface to discover the existence, the source of all existence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty. I don't know what the source of that is. But perhaps it leads us in a direction. Because, because this notion that we take a look at the world and understand that it's created by God. That's the truth. That's the ultimate essence of truth. So the world created by God and the notion that God is the creator has a way of illuminating our perspective. And this kind of sets us on a path of those opening words being he or. But in order to realize this, in order to really understand this, I have to take you, my friends, to a extraordinary edited sikh of the Rebbe, talk of the Rebbe. And the talk of the Rebbe is based on a medrash. And it would seem to me that Rashi's commentary is also based on this medrash. So let me share the medrash with you. I'll, I'll try to indicate why I think Rashi is basing his words on the medrash. The Rebbe certainly believed so. And then we'll see how the Rebbe analyzes this medrash. And I think that when we're finished seeing how the Rebbe analyzes it, our question of how those words, Yehi Or, can illuminate our eyes and our hearts and make fools wiser will fall away by itself. This is a medrash that's found in the beginning of the Torah, the third section on Bereshis. Vayomer alakim Yehi Or. God said, let there be light. Rabbi Yitzchak Posach, Rabbi Yitzchak opened. How did he open? And I will come back to this business of opening, but that will be at the end. He said, Pesach dvarecha yoyer. Your opening words illuminate. Maven, giving to understand, etc. Says Rabbi Yitzchak, we have a dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Yehuda, Aimer, Rabbi Yehuda says, Ha'oira nivra'at tchilo. Light was created first. And he gives a metaphor to explain his position. Moshe le'melech shabikesh livnis paltin. In the parable, a king set out to build a palatial compound. But the area was very dark. Ma'osa, what did he do to remedy the situation? He kindled lamps and lanterns. Leda, 
so that he would know how to set the foundations. Timluyusim are foundations. So too light was created first. And light enabled the foundations of existence to unfold. Rabbi Nechemia says, no, no. First the universe was created. And he too introduces a parable to defend and explain his position. We're back with a king again building this palatial compound. And he decorated the compound, the palace, with lamps and lanterns. Ad Khan, up until this point, Dorash Ravyudan. Until this point, Ravyudan was the one expounding. And essentially, it seems from the commentaries that Ravyudan believed that the words Pesach Dvorecha Yoyer support the position of Rabbi Yehuda. Because Pesach Dvorecha, your opening words, your first words, Yoyer, they were light. It seems to indicate that in the beginning, Hashem created light. And after this, He created the universe. And of course, this would pose a tremendous question, a challenge to Rabbi Nehemiah's position, because how would he explain the 130th verse of the 119th Psalm? He believes that the world was created first. <laughs> if the world was created first, why does it say, Pesach Dvarecha Yoyer? Your opening words. And we know Hashem spoke the world into creation, proverbially speaking. So this idea of God speaking and creating, who Omar Vayehi, he, he said and it was, it's all euphemism and anthropomorphism, but this is the, me, the parable employed, the metaphor employed. So how would, it, how would he be able to explain that in Nehemiah? It doesn't say, Pesach Dvarecha Oilam or Helam. It doesn't say your opening words were concealment or a world. So the, the Medrash now introduces a different opinion. And this is the opinion of Rabbi Pinchas. Also, Rabbi Pinchas, Rabbi Pinchas came, and the Medrash gives us a whole bunch of others, Rabbi Simon, and Rabbi Chanon, and Rabbi Shmuel, Barav Yitzchak. And they said that this is the meaning of Pesach Dvarecha Yoyer. What does this mean? That your initial words illuminated. In other words, there had to be something to illuminate. And that's the opinion of Rabbi Nehemiah. There was a world. The world was dark. So God illuminated the world. Your first act was to illuminate creation. But first he created darkness. And after creating darkness or a world, then he illuminated the world. So these are the two opinions. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nehemiah. So the Rebbe sets out to analyze these two opinions. These two schools of thought that are introduced to us in the Medrash. And of course, the real question that any of us might ask, what is the deeper meaning of this argument? How is it instructive? How is it illuminative for us? God created light first, or God created the world first. We may not even know exactly what that means. So the Rebbe said that the answer, the key to understanding this, this the way to explain 
these circumstances is by first introducing a much broader query. And the broader query is, why was it that the first thing God created was light? You're looking at me. <laughs> what do you mean? What should he have created? Rebbe says photons or light are useful for creatures. We need light. God does need light. So when you have created entities who are in the dark, it's very helpful to turn the lights on. But light in and of itself doesn't really do anything for anybody. I mean, suppose this room were empty and the lights were on or off. Who would know the difference? Or what difference would it make? But when people walk into the room and they can't find a way around and somebody turned the lights on, wow, that was a light bulb moment. So why bother creating light when there is no existence? First, there needs to be existence. First, there needs to be created matter. And then they would require illumination. So why did God create light first? And the Rebbe says that the answer to that question is to be found in the words of the Medrash that describe the purpose of creation. Ikira kavona, the primary overriding intention, tachlis habriya, the ultimate, the penultimate purpose of creation. And brias ha'olam doesn't just mean world, but in Hebrew words are revealing the word olam is a permutation of the word helam. And helam means concealment. Why did God create a reality that conceals his presence? If God is the ultimate source, if God and godliness powers everything continuously, if our God is dynamic, why don't we see him? The answer is because we live in a place where God and godliness is concealed. That's the nature of our world. The nature of every world, the nature of all existence that appears to itself to be independent of God necessitates some kind of concealment or darkness. This is known in the vernacular of the mystical discipline of Torah. In Pnimiya Satera, it's called Tzimtzum. God contracting or concealing His light. Simply stated in the words of the Talmud, Shraga Batihara Mayahani. If one lights a candle in the midst of broad daylight, who was helped? The answer is nobody. Because the light that issues forth from the candle is eclipsed by the far greater intensity of the sunlight. A funny thing happens when the sun sets or when it gets very cloudy. Suddenly, the light emanating from the candle becomes a somebody. Suddenly, it becomes apparent and obvious. 
it becomes apparent and obvious not because at that moment it was brought into existence. It was always there, but it couldn't be seen. In other words, a greater light will eclipse a light of lesser intensity. And it is only when the greater light is dimmed that the light of lesser intensity begins to glow. When God's presence pervades all of existence, or whatever's beyond that, it's impossible for anything to feel independent of God. There can be nothing other than God. The truth is, there is nothing other than God. Ein od milvado, says Moshe Rabbeinu. We all saw, felt, and knew this when we stood round the mountain called Sinai. And God revealed Himself. We all saw, knew, and felt, Ein od milvado. There is nothing other than God and godliness. But now, we think that we're important too. In fact, we are fearful of various powers and causes. Sometimes we worship those powers and those causes or those ideals and ideas which are not godly. And we feel that if we don't worship or pay homage to these forces or powers or masters, that they'll be able to harm us. That they'll be able to control us. So we kind of worship them or give them their due. And Elio Hanavi, when he spoke to the Jewish people in what is arguably one of the most dramatic events in the entire strata of the Bible, he says, fellow Yidin, it doesn't work that way. Im Lashem Lashem, if you want God in your life, then you must open your life to Him absolutely. Im Labal, if you want to worship idols, then worship idols. You cannot jump from branch to branch. Or as they say in the Yiddish vernacular, you can only be at one place at one time. In other words, in other words, the notion of oilam, the notion of something that exists outside of God, is also something that God has to create. It can't exist. Nothing can exist outside of God. Something that feels it is an I outside of God is an anomaly. It's an impossibility. The only way for it to be is if for that entity God conceals His presence. So in the loftier worlds, and there are myriads of such worlds and realities, they feel a sense of independence, but at the same time, a sense of dependence. They know that there is God and godliness, but they feel they're here too. There is one world, only one, in which its inhabitants feel only themselves and not God at all. We're in it now. That's Olam Haza Hagashmi. That's the meaning of the lowest world. It's not about depth or height. It's not about distance or something that's close by. It's about a world that is entirely concealed, a world in which not one iota, not one shred of the truth can be easily seen. Not one shred. You can dust and find God's fingerprints when you put the story of the Megillah together carefully and suddenly a pattern emerges. You can detect the presence of God as in the Hogs Bigson God particle. You can detect phenomena that seems to indicate that there is something unfathomable beyond what we think is real and true. But we still think this is real and true. And this is the only reality we know, certainly on an organic level. The only reality we know. God created that world. 
God created the possibility for atheism. God created the possibility for those to immaturely declare themselves to be independent of God and not needing Him at all. God created this. Why did God create it? <laughs> Why did God create that? Why did God create a world that denies Him? What's the point? And the Medrash comes along and says, because God wanted to live, quote-unquote, or to be in this world, that that should be His primary dwelling, that that which was in total denial should now be transformed, sublimated, brought around. God wants that the darkness should become light. That's what God wants. That darkness itself will illuminate. And therefore... Therefore, light is created first. The Behuda says, by creating light first, God makes the statement, it's all about the light. The darkness will come after. But the darkness is temporary. Because in the end, the darkness too will illuminate. When I was a little boy, I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was seven, maybe eight, maybe ten. I was a little boy. I was sitting on my father's lap at the Fabrengen. And the Rebbe that was speaking for such a long time and in Yiddish. I, I understood Yiddish, but I couldn't follow the profundity of those talks. I was a little boy. I was actually bored, extremely bored. I remember counting the stitches of the binding of the Siddur and memorizing every drop of ink around the cover. But the Rebbe said something which in my childish mind shocked me. And it shocked me so much that I actually heard, absorbed, and never forgot hearing these words because it was so shocking. It was so traumatic. We, we remember trauma. The things that were traumatic for us, we remember. I remember my upsharnish because it was traumatic for me. I remember being traumatized by the I'm cutting my hair. So this must have been very traumatic for me. What did the Rebbe say that traumatized me? So I grew up in a family of Hasidim. My parents are Hasidim. Both sets of grandparents are Hasidim, Baruch Hashem. And everybody reveres the Rebbe. And the Rebbe is the perfect, the perfect Jew. He is, he is everything we aspire to. He's a holy man, a godly man. The Rebbe knows your thoughts. His erudition in Torah is unmatched in the world. These are the kind of things that, that I know. And I hear the Rebbe say, when Mashiach will come, it says the darkness itself will illuminate. I can understand that. And then he said, What that means, nobody knows. Because I myself don't know. And I think that I was so traumatized to hear the Rebbe say publicly that there was something he didn't know that these words burned themselves into my memory and I cannot shake them. So my dear friends, if you will ask me to explain to you the meaning of it doesn't mean when you turn the lights on that there's no longer any darkness. That means when light dispels darkness. But when Mashiach comes, the chayshech, the darkness, yehofech, the darkness itself will be light. And the Rebbe himself said he didn't know what that meant. We have no experience. We have no frame of reference for that. It hasn't yet happened. 
But this is the purpose. This is the goal. This is the intention. And so, these are the two schools of thought, said the Rebbe. The two schools of thought are, Rebbe Nechemia holds that the ultimate purpose is light. However, Ha'olam Nivrat Chila, the world was created first. Why? Why? Because the world had to be created even before God brought light into existence. Because the Tachlis, the ultimate purpose, is not simply to banish or do away with the darkness, but rather to use the darkness as a springboard, as a launching pad, as a conventional vehicle through which we can actualize the presence of light. In other words, that the Choyshech becomes an envelope, an imtsoi, legales esa'ur, to reveal the light. When you do a mitzvah, you're revealing the light. We don't see it, but that's what you're doing. And the only way you can do a mitzvah in a meaningful fashion is if there's the possibility of not doing the mitzvah. And that requires Choyshech. That requires darkness. So the darkness is necessary because it's only through the darkness that I'm able to have the ability to choose and to bring light into the world. So darkness is a reality and it was created before light because it is the launching pad for light. It is what enables light to be brought into the world. That's how the Rebbe understands the school of thought that's advanced by Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Yehuda holds, he says, however, that since light was created first, even the reality of darkness is ultimately light. Even darkness will be transformed into light. In other words, do we see, do we see the earth as inherently dark but the darkness is formed then before the light or not or does the darkness follow the light if we say darkness comes first it implies that darkness exists outside the purpose of all creations for it is the created matter to be illuminated by God In other words, darkness exists from this perspective as a contrast to light. To provide the opportunity to reject darkness in favor of light. That's the Bechira. That's the choice. So the purpose of darkness is not to be illuminated. The purpose of darkness is ultimately to be shunned. It's the thing I don't choose to do. That's Rabbi Nechemi's opinion. Rabbi Yehuda says that the darkness also, the darkness too, followed light's creation. And thus, darkness and the negativity it represents were formed within the context of light. Even darkness shares the purpose of creation. Namely, to be transformed into godly light. I think that this is along the lines of what we call in the esoteric discipline, iskafia, the crushing of evil, or is hapcha, the sublimation and transformation. 
And from Rabbi Yehuda's perspective, Pesach Dvarecha, your opening words, Yoyer, that is to say that the very beginning of creation is about illumination. And that is Mevim Psoyim. Even the fools who deny, deny God's existence absolutely, even they too can be brought around to see the light of God because light was created first. And God's light from the very beginning was created so that we could transform the darkness, redirect it, so that we could essentially redistill it into a reflection of God's presence. Whereas Rabbi Nehemia would come to the same words and he says, Pesach Dvarecha Yoyir. The first thing God said was to illuminate. The world had an inherent darkness and the very beginning of God says right away, now illuminate. In other words, this is an opportunity. When you're faced with a negative situation, a dark situation, a challenging situation, now it's an opportunity for you to frame the light. To find the silver lining, if you will. To choose appropriately. So, in the way that Rebbe explains this medrash, which is, of course, based on the verse of Tilim, and it would seem to me, this is where Rashi, this would be the foundation of Rashi's approach. The way we see this, it's, uh, it's very beautiful. Because really what we're being told is that from the very beginning, Pesach Varecha, Yoyer, it's all about light. It's all about finding the light in every situation. And in doing so, even the fool can be illuminated. As Rashi goes on to say, Mevim Psoyim, Misham Yovinu, from there they will understand, Hakoil everything. Ve'yiftichu, Lahaschil, Lifteyach Bedivriteira. And here Rashi brings it around to the interpretation, the commentary of his colleagues, Radak and Mitzudirth. Here Rashi illuminates now and indicates what the Medrash said. Because you have the understanding and the clarity that ultimately everything is about light and that there's a purpose to creation, from there you can come to study Torah. Yavinu Hakel, everybody can understand, even the fools. And once they begin, they'll begin to Torah, they'll open the Torah. Once they begin to open the Torah, once they begin or have this awareness, that in the end, everything in this world was created to reflect the light of God. Then they start to seek the light of God. So they start to study the Torah. And in doing so, things become illuminated. And here, this really kind of closes the circle. And I want to finish tonight's class by just sharing with you a, a final thought. There's this teaching which is brought copiously in Chesidus, that the reason that many times we have the words in the Zohar, or in the Medrash, Posach. I just read the Medrash, Posach Rabbi Yitzchak. Posach Rabbi Abba. They opened. They opened and began to speak. Why do we always begin with they opened? So there's this idea that when a sage develops a novelty in Torah, he opens a pipeline. He opens a pathway. And, and once in his own mind those neuronic pathways form, it creates the possibility of others to be able to follow in this path too. There's an amazing story that's told about the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo was such a holy man, such an enlightened and inspired individual. He had such great holiness and consciousness that he actually would study Torah in the dead of the night with an angel. 
And there's a whole book. It's called the Maggid, the things you heard from the Maggid. And so the story is told that Beis Yosef, Yosef Kara was once working on a very naughty problem. And he worked on it for days to try to resolve something which seemed intractable. A Torah concept seemed intractable. And he finally resolved it. And he, he kind of he figured it out and put it all together. And he develops this incredibly profound and brilliant thesis. The next night, he's walking through the narrow cobblestone streets of Tzfat. And he walks by a home. And he hears somebody studying Torah. And the person is reading the very passage that had vexed him for days. And he's reading the passage. And he's, he's reading the words. He, the syntax flows along the lines of what he had just discovered. And he worked on it for days. And he felt very bad. His, his self-esteem took a real battering. So I worked on this for days and here's this person. And it's like he reads it naturally into the words. The words of the syntax simply sang off the page in exactly the melody that he had formulated. So he asked the Magid that night about this. He shared his frustration. And the Magid said something amazing to him. He said, after you were mamshech, after you actualized this concept, brought it into this world, now it became available for everybody. So we talk about Posach, talk about the opening of a Torah sage who opened new ideas, new pathways, new doorways, new gateways, new segways in Torah. Once that's opened, it becomes available for everybody. And when you put that, when you frame that Pesach Dvarecha, Hashem opened the way for all of us, for Yair. He opened the way for all of us to illuminate. He opened the way for all of us to find the light. It doesn't matter if you're unlettered. It doesn't matter if you think of yourself as simple. It doesn't matter if you imagine yourself even to be a fool. Pesach Dvarecha, Hashem is giving us the Torah, introducing Himself to us as the master of the Jewish people, as the Odin, Hashem sharing with us the first words of Yehi'or, gives each and every one of us the ability to claim the Torah as our own. It is our inheritance. It belongs to each and every one of us. And as long as we will toil in the Torah, as long as we will try to understand Hashem's words, we will continue to go from strength to strength, developing increased profundity, breadth and scope as we go into newer vistas and fresh horizons in our study of Torah and our understanding of Hashem's holy word. And very soon, Emetz Hashem, Mashiach will come. And when Mashiach comes, this process of us trying our best to understand Hashem will reach a tipping point. There'll be an explosion of light will be saturated in the knowledge of God, as Isaiah says, It'll be so overwhelming, like the ocean that covers and entirely really eclipses, hides the ocean bed. All you see is ocean. That's the knowledge of Hashem that each of us will very, very soon merit to experience. And Heder will be Amen. Thank you.